0: Street Life Serenade was 1975. Didn't really have a lot of time to write new material, but there was a lot of pressure to put out another album after Piano Man, and I just didn't have a lot of stuff. Um, There's even two instrumentals. And when's the last time, you know, a singer-songwriter put out an instrumental? One's called Root Beer Rag, and the other one is called The Mexican Connection. Uh, There's a song on here, Roberta, that's about a hooker. I'm not gonna get into that. Hi, I'm Alon Altman. I'm Dave Juskow. And I'm Paul
1: Lauren, and this is Billy Joel A to Z.
2: Billy Joel, he wrote so many songs Some fast, some slow, and some go on too long All the hits and hidden gems, even the turds It ends at Z, not A, with your
0: friends along and Dave Hello everyone and welcome to Billy Joel A to Z, where our last song episode has led us to wrap up the questionable, yet interesting third studio album, Street Life Serenade. Released on October 11, 1974, Street Life Serenade was a follow-up to Billy's surprise breakout album, Piano Man. Besides his first album, Street Life Serenade is Billy Joel's most disappointing album, sales and hit-wise. Unlike when he followed up with The Stranger with 52nd Street, this album was not a great follow up to the songs Piano Man or Captain Jack. It was also the last time for 20 years Billy would record an album with only session musicians. The only single released from the album was The Entertainer. The Entertainer entered the charts on November 30th, 1974, and peaked at 34 on January 11th, 1975. But even though he worried, that he won't be here in another year if he didn't stay on the charts the entertainer may have helped enough at 34 to make another album at the very least on december 28 1974 the album street life serenade peaked at number 35 which was not great since he was having trouble beating paul anka and bachman turner overdrive bto <laughs> Meanwhile, possibly ironically, the other piano man, Elton John, was hogging the number one spot for 11 weeks with the greatest hits album already, something Billy wouldn't get to for another 10 years. Rolling Stone ranked the top 10 Billy Joel albums out of 13, and not surprisingly, it didn't even make the list. Ultimate Classic Rock ranked all 13 albums from worst to first, and on their list, it comes in at nine, so that's a bit better. That all being said, Street Life Serenade and its 10 Strange Songs didn't make a stir at the time. Even Billy Joel admits, as he is quoted as saying, interesting musical ideas, but nothing to say lyrically. However, over time, true Billy Joel fans have gone backwards after growing up on The Stranger and beyond and have learned a growing appreciation for the album. So let's remind ourselves of the 10 songs we're going to be discussing today on the Street Life Serenade album wrap-up.
2: Street Life Serenade <laughs> Never sang on stage. Needs no orchestration Duh.
0: time to bring in the boys please welcome my co-host and creator of the billy joel a to z podcast for the past two years comedian alan altman hello alan
3: hello dave uh for the next hour could you
0: please refer to me as roberta <laughs> absolutely you whore. Ooh. and of course we thank god for him and his amazing talent and vocals from the paul lauren band and the great paul lauren nice to be back hi guys Yes, yes, we know that you have been working very hard. So the fact that you were able to spend a little bit of time with us is quite fantastic for us and our listeners. Right, Alon?
3: yeah, it always makes these things special. I know that they've all missed you on the Greatest Hits Volume Three wrap up.
0: <laughs> they sure did. <laughs> and you're it. welcome, Paul, for us not calling you. Thank you. Yeah, I'll, I'll,
1: I'll um, yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate that.
0: <laughs> well. Let's uh, start. I guess I'll just. All right. We all know if you've been listening to this podcast as as long as we've had it on, everybody knows how angry I was or am about this album. It is certainly not my favorite album in the sense that I I didn't even know half the songs on it. And when I say half, uh, I'm being polite. I mean, I'm pretty sure I knew the entertainer and that might have been it. I mean, I really don't think I knew any of the other songs. So when I was bad-mouthing the album, when we first, I think the first song we did was Last of the Big Time Spenders. Boy, did we get a lot of feedback, especially from the, you know, the real fans like uh, like Gary Goldman or Alex Sulkin from Family Guy. Uh, they really let me have it. And like, how could you say that? That's, it's an amazing album. But over time, obviously, and doing this podcast, that is the beauty of this podcast. For me, it has been a true journey into learning a little bit more about sir william and then now i've learned to appreciate the album certainly a lot more it still might not be my favorite but as we were talking about with weekend song i i enjoyed i listened to the album as a whole again and i enjoyed it very much on a completely different level than anything else
3: Yeah, I think this album has a real vibe to it, and it's one that you can listen to from beginning to end and really put yourself in a certain mood, just like Billy Joel probably was feeling when he was making this, living in California. I think as a fan who you hear all the hits so much over and over, especially at concerts, it's nice to put on something like this that feels a little bit special because you know that most people don't know these songs, and so they hold a more personal feeling in your heart than a lot of his other work.
1: So true. Yeah, it's really a slice of time in his life, like you're, like you're saying there, Alon. And to imagine him in his early or mid twenties at this point, and he's doing that West Coast thing and he's bringing in pedal steel guitar and more banjo and more Western elements. And is a little Jackson Brown here or a little Eagles there or a little Scott Joplin there? Uh, it's, it's the album really right before he kind of finds his sound that would define him for most of the rest of his career which is that east coast thing and this is um it's really interesting to hear it's a very cuspy album there's slices of the later billy joel vocally and even on the piano and instrumentally you hear hints of what's to come it's just a fascinating really cool record
0: that's a great way to put it you're absolutely right you hear hints of what's to become and that's a great way to put it Would you mind, as we often like to do here, starting us off with uh, whatever the choice of selection you choose from these 10 songs off Street Life Serenade? Sure. Okay. (laughs) Let me come in hot here and I'll pull up
1: some lyrics.
3: (laughs) He said, I'm going to pull up some lyrics and he's going to start playing Root Beer Rag.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Okay. I'm actually. Oh. (laughs) Not playing the Me- Mexican connection, but I'm gonna—I uh, was gonna look for something like maybe Roberta, because that's what we're—that
0: would be unbelievable. That's what Love we're it.
1: calling lawn, right, for the rest yes. of the
3: episode. <laughs> I'm identifying as Roberta.
1: Roberta, <laughs> Roberta,
2: you say you know. But I see only what you're paid to show me Oh, I wish you had the time Oh, I wish you had the time Oh, oh, Roberta, I understand I to make love to you Ooh.
1: I have no castanets, we Oh
0: man, that is fantastic. That is so great. That that was fantastic. There's I realized that I really like that song now. Maybe I hadn't heard it in a while or something. And this is, of course, one of the songs I found through the podcast, which I'd never heard before. Two things about it, Alan. We were just talking about weekend song. That was last week. And I was telling you that the reason I didn't like weekend song is because there wasn't the part in a Billy Joel song where it goes to that place that he seems to be able to go for me where I'm like, okay, this changes everything for me. And when it, when, when it goes to that, that core change, which it's tough for me, I'm like, Oh, I forgot about that part. And I'm like, Oh, I'm liking Roberta anyway. And then it goes to that. And that is what I needed in weekend. Song, which never came to me, Mm. that little progressive change, which somehow worked, which also I thought sounded a little bit, I was trying to, Capture, what does that sound like? It sounds a little like the change in all about soul. Huh. That's what I was hearing. Uh which which part of this? The part where it goes, it's all about soul. If you get to the part where it goes, it's tough for me if you play it from the All About Soul.
1: That's true. Right? Yeah. I guess they are like in some ways harmonically related. Well, it was
0: driving me crazy because I remember when I first heard it. Because remember, a lot we were talking about this. I think were we talked talking about this on the air yesterday with, the, with Miley Cyrus, the song that we thought we heard Flower, and yeah, we thought we'd right. heard it before. And it's something like that where maybe that's why I like the song. It sounds familiar, but then it also sounds like All About Soul, which of course is fine. The other thing which I noticed as you're doing, I noticed this all while you were playing it, I wrote it down. <laughs> And it's funny that it has the I want to make love to you, which we're sickened by in the night is still young. And at yeah. this time, for some reason, it's perfectly fine. We're sickened that he wants to make love all night long to Christy Brinkley. But for some reason, we're perfectly fine with the prostitute. What's the matter with Christy us?
3: Brinkley? We have on a pedestal. This is a classy <laughs>
1: lady. That's what it is. And maybe he's cheating on Elizabeth here. So we're, maybe we're OK with that, too. It works on
0: every level yeah. for some reason. That was a great job, Paul. That was amazing. Thanks. Okay. It's a well, beautiful song. That's, would you ever think about,
1: you know, yes, playing that yes. in a show? Yes, like for you, sure. Yeah. It's an amazing song, actually. And yeah. The last time I played it was all those years ago on that live one that we did. Yeah. So I, I want to add it to my repertoire. It's such yeah. A, right. It's a great tune. Yeah.
0: It's like one of those, I was just thinking, I'm like, geez, that's something should be in your, if you're playing all Billy Joel one night, then definitely a repertoire. I'm, we'd obviously like to hear him play it at MSG. That would be fantastic that would be amazing.
3: I think the only thing that kind of hurts the song that it's not more well known cuz it's so good is this is the name Roberta. It just doesn't exist anymore. So no one's like, "Hey Roberta, here's this great Billy Joel song about you." Like they don't where are these Robertas?
0: Yeah. So and true. they should they should uh, you know, call it, you know, like my mom's name Rhoda. That would be better. Those are two names that are totally around. Would um, that be Roberta. weird Should I insert your mom's
1: name into the song and play it again for you? That'd be no, right. please okay. don't.
0: I won't do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> no, <laughs> Rhoda. <laughs> <laughs> so this is what Billy Joel says on the album. And we all know this already, but he said, I had been on the road playing in theaters and clubs and opening up for other acts. I opened up for the Beach Boys during that time, and I didn't have a lot of time to write new material, but there was a lot of pressure to put out a new album after Piano Man, he recalled, I just didn't have a lot of stuff. There's even two instrumentals. So it's not that he doesn't admit multiple times that there is an issue with this album. He ran into many writer's blocks over the years. We know that with Code of Silence and The Bridge and I guess finally with River of Dreams where he's just like, I can't do this anymore. I just don't have enough material, which, of course, seems crazy Because it seems like we're probably we probably don't even know half of the stuff he already has in the can with all the unreleased songs we've done over this podcast. It's fascinating that he just seemed to run out of material even back in 1974. Yeah. Yeah. He
1: he was working late at the piano bar. Right. And he uh, he just maybe didn't have it. And he was under pressure. Elizabeth was probably whipping him. He just (laughs) he's still under the rip deal. (laughs)
3: She was like, maybe I'll go back to John. Maybe he knows what he's doing. What <laughs> there
0: <you> like. <laughs> well, there's definitely pressure, but you know, that's the kind of pressure you're supposed to know of know of after you have your hit. I mean, he should have known better. Oh, they're probably well, I didn't know Piano Man was going to be a hit, but now that it is, I should I should try and elaborate on that. It shouldn't just be the record company saying we need a new album. He should want to do it. He knows how the record industry works. He may not like it. You know, that should have been I mean, we got lucky again, like I said, in the open, if the entertainer didn't do well, if nothing was released, I wonder if they would have given him a turnstiles chance. And we know what happened after that. They they were pretty ready to finish him off anyway. In fact, I don't think anything was released from turnstiles. Right. There's James in Australia. So, yeah, yeah, that's I guess. So if the entertainer. So if you, you have two albums where nothing's released. You're doomed. I'm surprised he was having such writer's block because we know
3: some of the songs that were unreleased that we've done episodes about that are really good. I mean, some of them obviously are not that great, but songs like Josephine or Rosalinda were really good, fully formed songs. Maybe stylistically, they didn't fit what he was going for on this album, but he did have those in the can.
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah, we also know he used to go back and, and get some of them. And wasn't it? And so it goes that was made like three, four albums before and then he bought it back. Was that the one? Yeah, yeah, he wrote that
3: when he was with Hal McPherson, and then brought it back. uh, Right.
0: But we're not talking about. Read this. Our favorite part: reading the Rolling Stone magazine review from December fifth, nineteen seventy four. Dave,
1: when did this? When's the release date on this record? The act? Do we know the Uh, uh, exact? You have it in your notes.
0: Yes. October eleventh, nineteen seventy four. Okay. Cool. So that yeah. So this is uh, what two two months after the release. And remember, folks, when I read these reviews, these people, record reviewers back, they just sucked. And they use a lot of terms I am not familiar with. So <laughs> they they really just back then used to go into the thesaurus. I think that's why people just started getting angry. And now they make books and magazines of people that talk the way people talk normally. So Billy Joel's pop schmaltz occupies a stylistic no man's land. A little foreshadowing <laughs> where musical and lyric truisms borrowed from dis. Damn it. Disparate sources are forced together. A talented keyboardist, Joel's piano style credibly imitates early Elton John, while Joel's melodic and vocal attacks owe something to Harry Chapin. Joel's lyrics also seem Chapin-influenced in their appeal to middle American sentimentality. Piano Man and Captain Jack, the centerpieces of Joel's last album, compelled attention for their despairing portraits of urban fringe life, despite their underlying shallowness. By contrast, Street Life Serenade is desiccated of ideas. The opening cut, Street Life Serenader, fails to develop a melody or lyrical theme. Los Angelinos presents a hackneyed picture postcard of LA as sexual wasteland. The Great Suburban Showdown seems even more dated than its apparent inspiration, The Graduate. In The Entertainer, a spin-off from Chapin's W-O-L-D, Joel screams homilies about the callousness of the music business. Joel's keyboard abilities notwithstanding, he has nothing to say as a writer at present. Two instrumental trifles, Root Beer Rag and The Mexican Connection, provide nothing more than filler. Now that is the review on December 5th, 1974, as I told you, the album came out on October 11th, 1974. Now, here's the best part. On April 2023, Alan, get ready. <laughs> Rolling Stone had another article entitled, Watch Billy Joel play Los Angelinos for the first time in 42 years. And then they wrote about their review. They say Los Angelinos is the second track on 74th Street Life Serenade, which was largely panned by critics and ignored by the public. And then they write, the guys review Billy Joel Schmaltz and the, the lyric truisms, Rolling Stones, and they put, Rolling Stones, Stephen Holden wrote in a scathing review. And then they say, the opening cut street life Serenator fails to develop a melody. Los Angelinos presents a hackneyed picture postcard of LA as a sexual wasteland. You have to appreciate that they did print their review Or maybe they're saying, see, we were right. He hasn't played it in 42 years because I know you hate Rolling Stone, Paul. So maybe they're just saying, see, we were right. That's why he hasn't played it.
1: They're such vindictive
0: little babies, those Rolling Stoner people. Oh, gosh. But it was fascinating that a month or two ago, they referenced this article.
1: That's crazy. Like. Okay. So Billy Joel's been on this victory lap since 1993, last time he made a record, basically, right? And he's been playing and the victory lap, of course, with these MSG shows and Stevie Nickster, all this stuff. And they, they couldn't just write a puff piece saying (laughs) the man didn't, hasn't played. Isn't it incredible that he's pulling these, you know, obscure songs out of his back catalog? They had to, they had to be that, that publication and go back to their own archive. Come on.
0: Come yep. on. It's rude. Please. It's rude. a little disrespectful, but it's rude. also kind of cool that they uh, ag- acknowledged that it was kind of cool that he pulled out out of his bag of tricks, yeah. Yeah, is, uh, a, cool. a song that for some reason was Alon's favorite song. And um, it's then so good. To... It's, it's like
3: uh, <laughs> you get the goodness of Rod Stewart without having to look at his face.
0: Oh, take that, Rod <laughs> Stewart. What? They're Poor both cute not. old men, as my niece <laughs> and her friends would say. <laughs> I don't know whether you guys know this, but did you know the guy who produced this album, Michael Stewart, he committed suicide Ah,
3: right after, after album. That Rolling Stone That's review? right.
0: Yes. <laughs> no, I think years later, it was funny. I was looking it up because I was seeing what else has he done. And it was kind of like all the guys he used for music videos. They were never heard from again. You know, he obviously produced the next album himself because he. this was the guy that was making him use the studio musician. So I guess, I mean, there's no information of whether they had a falling out or whatever happened, unless you guys know something.
3: Well, I think he just was unhappy with this whole argument because he had it with Piano Man, which Michael Stewart also produced. And then again, on this one, where he wanted to use a band and not just use these studio guys.
0: Yes, I have a review from something else where they show about why that was an issue as well. But yeah, then it turns out, it says that he died of a long illness, but then his son has reiterated that he knows now it was a suicide. And it's probably from Street Life Serenade. (laughs) <laughs> all wow. right maybe he didn't say it was that album but it it is kind of not funny but funny to say like well this isn't billy Joel's best album in fact the producer committed suicide soon after <laughs> it's, 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 I, that's dave just comedy but great uh, suburban I, showdown in the sky yeah uh
1: <laughs> was there is there like a curse of billy Joel where all his past producers are are now
0: <laughs> i know it is kind of weird except eventually that, that will be true except the one Artie Rip is dead, right? Yes. Not Artie Rip Jr., but Artie Rip is dead. And it's funny because I'm sure that's the one he wanted to die first. And that guy lasted much longer than I'm sure he wanted. Hmm. I wonder if Artie Rip had like died early on, if he still would have had this problem. I wonder in death if he still would have had to use family productions or whatever. I wonder if there, there would have been a stipulation where he doesn't have to do that anymore.
3: I think he would still have to. The contract still just passes on to whoever his estate is next. But case. maybe he could have dealt with somebody who was more accommodating and would have sold the contract.
0: Right, like an Artie Rip Jr. is like Jesus Billy. You're really good. Let's work out something else. Yeah, Artie Rip Jr. You yeah. <laughs>
1: know, is he, is, he, is he have you gotten him on the show yet?
0: No, nah, it's too risky. Yeah. We'd we'd probably get angry at him. Okay, okay. <laughs> 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 Unless he wants to do it.
1: You didn't get angry at Liberty, though, and you were, you know, uh, in fact, the opposite. I think you were charmed by him. Dave. We
0: were totally charmed by Liberty. He was awesome. And you know what the thing is, after all the years and all the stuff we were saying, I mean, I think he came to terms with himself as well. Yeah. I mean, there was obviously bad blood, and he made it very clear, me and Billy are okay now. So he's obviously dealt with some issues and said, maybe I did this and that. So he was just an absolute joy and pleasure. My goodness. I think he, you know, at this age and this stage
1: of his life, he probably sees the, um, may I quote, shades of gray in the situation. <laughs> nice. And le- looks at, yeah, I mean, less less black and white. There's more nuance there probably. And seems like Liberty, uh, was, that was really nice to hear your conversations with him. So
0: we just want to have him on every week now. I mean, he's, he was so much fun. We could have, he didn't even want to go. We just, we didn't want to take more of his time. We probably could have talked to, you know, it's like weird. It's like, it, it's hard to keep asking questions about the same thing. We want to know, where were you when he did this or did this? But we heard him, this, that, that Summer Highland Falls story where Billy was like, what do you think? You think it's good? Billy, if you don't put this out, I'm not even playing with you anymore. And you I'm showing this drumstick up your pee hole. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. And then there, there's another example, I guess, when he was talking about something else. It's, I could feel like we... We kind of got everything unless we went through every song individually and just said, all right. So and the day, I think he even told us about Uptown Girl, like the later stuff too. And
1: yeah, you got the big point talking about Yeah, That's yeah. So incredible.
0: I mean well done from both of you. I mean, definitely. We I, I would I would go song for song with him for I would do Another podcast with him going song for song, being in the studio when he was doing it. Right, Alon? I mean, that would be fun. T- fantastic.
3: Yeah, actually, I tried to get him on this one. I sent him an email. I said, I loved your work on Street Life Serenade. <laughs> and he just he ghosted me. Completely. That's rude.
1: Didn't he? Uh, you invited him instead of me to the uh, Greatest Hits Volume 3 wrap up? Is that right? Yeah, that's, oh, yeah. that's
0: that's exactly what we were going to do. Great. Uh, Liberty, we really don't like you. And that we'd like to have you as a guest on Greatest Hits Volume 3. Yipes. So let me read another review. This is Jeff Giles from Ultimate Classic Rock, and this is a review from 2015. So I always like to have the review from when it came out, and then the review interesting after Billy's been Jeff Billy. Giles. Is he you mean, you mean Jay Giles? Yes, that's exactly the way. I <laughs> okay,
2: okay,
0: I wish it was Jay Giles. Was there an actual Jay Giles? It's just was it Jay Giles was more like Mick Fleetwood, right? He named the band after himself, but he wasn't the front man or didn't do anything, right? I think it was a metaphor. Like Jay Giles was like a metaphor. just like, a, like Oh, is that right? So he wasn't a band member. It was Peter Wolf. I think so. It the, was the guy, but I don't even know any of the other band members. I think you? it was like Sergeant Pepper, you know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, so this is his review in 2015 Ultimate Classic Rock, Jeff Giles. At this point, Billy Joel had had one hit album under his belt, 1973's Piano Man, and a whole bunch of platinum records in his future, starting with 1977's The Stranger. First, though, he had to make it through a frustrating few years that found him adjusting to life as a touring recording artist while trying to solidify his sound, a period that started with the Piano Man follow-up, Street Life Serenade. Produced again by Michael Stewart, a talented songwriter in his own right, but one whose preference for session players kept Joel from really digging in and developing an identifiable sound of his own. Surrounded by studio vets like bassist Larry Kecknell, how do you pronounce that? I have no
1: idea.
2: <laughs> it's
0: Toots Thielman. Yeah, no, it's K N E C H T E L. That's a tough one. K N. Larry Kicknell, guitarist Mike Deasy, and Elvis Presley drummer Ron Tut. Joel couldn't help but sound a little anonymous and outmatched. Add that to the rushed material and an increased experimentation with the Moog synth. And the result is a snapshot of an artist audibly finding his feet. Street Life Serenade. This is good is a transitional record, but not one without its charms. In fact, although the album would be somewhat cast to the margins after Joel's post-Stranger ascension, it probably contains more than its share of solid songs, given how hard he had to work in order to fill its 38-minute running time. As Joel derisively noted, the album contains a pair of instrumentals, but they're interesting ones. The bucolic audio landscape The Mexican Connection closes the record on a fittingly searching note, and the sprightly root beer rag served as both a showcase for Joel's melodic gifts and as the name of his long-running biannual newsletter. (laughs) (laughs) The album's opening numbers, Street Life Serenader and Los Angelinos, became concert staples that finally found a wider audience with 1981 Songs in the Attic Live collection. And in those more confident concert recordings, you can hear what Joel was aiming for all along. The album's deeper cuts... Don't lack for charm either. The Great Suburban Showdown presents a picture of Joel, the temporary West Coast transplant, returning home for an uneventful visit with the folks, eyeing the old neighborhood with the same jaundiced ennui that would thread through the narrative of many of his best records. And although he may not yet have grown into the world-weary pose he adopted for street life cuts like this one or the hooker crush ballad Roberta, you can still hear flashes of the artist he'd become. Souvenir, the record's penultimate track, would go on to serve as a bittersweet concert closer for years. Street Life Serenade also marks the spot where Joel first vented his ire regarding his occasionally tempestuous relationship with the press and the music industry. This album single, the middling hit The Entertainer, is a snide laundry list of rock star gripes, making small talk with suits, dealing with the single edits, watching your fortunes rise and fall, and the public's fickle whims, tucked behind an up-tempo pop arrangement. For the casual fan who may have missed out all these years, however, these songs are well worth a listen. Billy Joel may have been a work in progress at the time, but the difference between struggling artist and Grammy-winning star was more of an incremental shift than a quantum leap. And on Street Life Serenade, you can hear those pieces starting to fall into place. I like that review. It makes a lot of sense.
3: Yeah, that's a fair assessment of the album, I think.
0: You know what I didn't uh say when I was talking about the Harry Chapin WOLD and of course I thought it was called WOLD but I looked it up and I didn't know but that song which you know they say in that other in the Rolling Stone review which is a spin-off to the Entertainer is about a radio DJ going around the the world like looking for love.
2: Hello honey it's me. What did you think when you heard me back on the radio? What did the kids say when they knew it was their long lost daddy? Oh, remember how we listened to the radio and I said that's the place to be? And how I got the job as an FM jock the day you married me. It was two kids and I was into AM rock, but I just had to run around. It's been eight years since I left you, babe. Let me tell you about what's gone down. I am the morning DJ at WOLD.
0: A radio DJ. I mean, I don't know. That's what Harry Chapin wrote about. I guess it's called W-O-L-D. Well, I didn't know that either. Yeah. And W-O-L-D is apparently the basis for the TV series WKRP. Since And really? the W-O-L-D song is used as the basis for the theme song to WKRP. Because remember, it goes, nice baby, song. if you ever wondered, wondered whatever became of me. I'm living on the air. Yeah, you know it.
2: If you've ever wondered Wondered Whatever became of In
0: cincinnati That theme song was kind of iconic in its sense too. And it's interesting about a DJ that travels all over and looking for stuff and he lands this one, this particular case in Cincinnati. But uh yeah, it's all connected to apparently the entertainer. I thought That's that was not, quite interesting. Different. All around the same
1: time period. There's a lot of there's a lot of connections to Harry Chapin. I mean, they Billy and Harry grew up in the same place actually i mean wait in long island or are you just saying same place harry chapin's a long no harry chapin's a long islander oh i didn't know that yeah i can't stand harry chapin but you know curiously he was also panned by the the critics especially um rolling stone What, what was the guy who became bruce springsteen's manager his name who was started as a rolling stone writer i forget john landau john landau basically panned he started as a journalist for Rolling Stone writing record reviews. That's how he got his you know start in rock and roll, and panned Harry Chapin. And Harry basically went on this campaign to win John Landau over. And John said, Listen, listen, I'm not gonna I'm not writing any more reviews. I've segued to artist management. I'm managing Bruce now. And they became really apparently they became really good friends, Chapin and Landau did, uh, through the process. And Chapin was a very giving and uh, apparently very generous guy um really interesting life and career i'd say I'm, i you know the music is one thing but it seems like he was um really well liked in in music
0: that's pretty well that's what i heard the listen i i don't like him for other reasons i don't i don't like his songs they're too <laughs> you sad don't like
1: the taxi theme and <laughs>
0: yeah exactly exactly this that cats in the cradle can shove it and i wish it was never written and it used to bother me when i was in first <laughs> and second grade and because it was me and my dad. And I, the guy would never play with me and it was off. Anyway, why Why are we talking about this? I was having a good time. It's a creepy song, Cats in the creek It's a creepy goddamn song. It's the saddest song ever written, maybe. Ever fucking written. Wow. Besides uh, the, the Eric Clapton one about his kid. The te- tears in heaven.
1: Besides the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald and the Downeaster Alexa. That's, That's not too sad.
0: bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, Paul, would you be kind enough to grace us with another selection of... Street Life Serenade I'd be happy to.
1: You know it's coming along. Oh shit. <laughs> uh, Last of the big time spender. What? <laughs> 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 Se llaman los angelenos.
0: Well that's it for this week. Join us next week on Billy Joel A to Z for part 2. Of our Street Life Serenade album wrap up. Hiding up in the mountains, laying low in the canyons,
2: going nowhere on the streets with the Spanish names. I
3: feel like I was at the garden in April 2023. This <laughs> is highly irregular, folks. <laughs> it
1: feels it definitely feels better on a regular piano. Number one is
2: Wow. Mm.
1: <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, that's
3: a Paul Bombshell right there. Up in the
2: mountains, laying low in the canyons going nowhere on the streets with the Spanish names. Making love with the days in the